Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. What if investing in each other could change the world? I'm Joel Skeen with bizradio.us, and this is the Mindful Marketplace. Welcome back. Welcome back. It is so good to have you in this fall day, or I guess if you're listening in the future, maybe it's a winter day or a spring day or a summer day, whatever kind of day it is that you're having. I hope that you're having a good one. Um, Welcome back to the Mindful Marketplace. If this is your first time with us, I want to give you an especially warm welcome. This is the program where we talk to entrepreneurs, advisors, industry leaders, investors, and economic experts who are not only solving a market problem and making a profit, but who are also really solving a social problem and making an impact. It's where we learn to connect our money to our businesses, our values, our community, and ourselves. So today we're actually going to be talking with Diane Silver, who is an advocacy program manager for FairVote. But first, we got to hit the balance sheet, the assets, liabilities, debts, and investments. All right, first in the assets com- column, I want to chime in on something that is um, you know, dear to my heart on the um, current United Auto Workers strike that's happening right now. Because having moved to Western North Carolina about nine years ago from Metro Detroit, I have a lot of connections to people who work in the auto industry. You know, I was living there when the big three went to Washington to ask for a bailout. And I also remember that the workers took massive hits as the company struggled. And we've all seen the companies recover. You know, we've seen car prices skyrocket. And we've also seen the workers at these companies, their situations actually getting worse as profits rise. Um, In previous episodes, I've talked about the strategic advantage of worker-owned companies. But in industries where workers don't really have any ownership, unions tend to be the next best thing to ensure that workers at least have some representation. The problem has been with the UAW that the leaders were never really democratically elected and they were easily corrupted. So the asset that I want to talk to us about today for the Mindful Marketplace is that this year, for the first time, the UAW actually got to vote for their new president, Sean Fain. And we'll all see what the outcome of this auto worker strike is. You know, I personally believe that when workers have more ownership in their company, they take more ownership in their work and that investing in your people is investing in your business. But however things shake out, I'm happy to see that the UAW's leadership was actually chosen by the people and therefore accountable to the people. All right. In the liabilities column, um, I want to hit on uh, something you may have heard about, kind of a predatory and rapacious mindset of a guy by the name of Tim Gurner, the millionaire CEO who infamously bashed aspiring millennial homeowners for buying avocado toast, is back with another hot take that's not... uh, that's drawing, you know, some well-deserved criticism, I think. Um, T- Tim Gurner is the CEO of an Australian real estate company called the Gurner Group. Uh, he said that workers need to be put in their place. Um, this mindset is pretty disgusting, uh, yet telling of how people in his position who care more about corporate profits than actual human beings tend to think. 
Um, I'll just let the quote speak for itself. And I will also do my best to not um, do a terrible Australian accent here. <laughs> so Gerner said, and I quote, we need to see unemployment rise. Unemployment has to jump 40, 50% in my view. We need to see pain in the economy. We need to remind people that they work for the employer, not the other way around. There's been a systematic change where employees feel the employer is extremely lucky to have them as opposed to the other way around. We've got to kill that attitude. And that has to come through hurting the economy. Governments around the world are, are trying to increase unemployment to get that, to get to some sort of normality. We're starting to see less arrogance in the employment market. And that has to continue. All right. Um, I'll just let that speak for itself. Like I said, uh, debts on the debts column. So starting in October 1st, many student loan borrowers in the U.S. will have to start repaying their loans which could add up to $100 billion back in loan repayments. This might put financial squeeze on a lot of folks and has some big realtors worried about the possibility of spending slowdown. People have been using the money they would have paid towards student loans for things like, you know, household items, travel, new homes, and keeping the economy going despite the rising interest and inflation rates. Now, what this means for the economy depends on who you mean by the economy. Retailers like Walmart and Target are concerned, but some economists think it won't have a massive impact on the overall $18 trillion in consumer spending in the U.S. But inside people's homes, it's a different story. Folks are already figuring out where they need to cut costs, like buying fewer groceries, skipping that daily coffee, or working from home to save more gas. The tightened house household budgets due to picking up these loan payments are added to a perfect storm of massive inflation, high interest rates, banks tightening their lending, and return to work policies forcing remote workers to start commuting again along stagnant wait, wages all adds up to a lack of spending money to stimulate the economy that by nature must grow to avoid another bust. All signals point to an oncoming recession, and I, I personally believe it isn't so much a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And lastly, in the investments column, some good news. So crowdfunding in the investment world just hit a whopping $2 billion milestone, and it's definitely worth celebrating. Over 6,400 companies have jumped on the crowdfunding bandwagon in conducting a staggering 7,400 offerings with a remarkable 69% success rate. Nice. It's not just tech companies. It's nearly 600 different industries from software to restaurants have all reaped the benefits. And here's the kicker. Crowdfunding isn't just about raising funds. It's about creating opportunities. Crowdfunding, crowdfunded businesses have generated over 400,000 jobs and pumped a cool $5 billion into local economies. We're all, it's all about making it easier for you to find the right investment. And this issue comes with 20 fresh options. And, and so um, in the world of finance, timing is everything. It took five years to reach the $1 billion crowdfunding investment mark, but just two more years for it to double to $2 billion. So really excited to see all that happen and really excited to see more involvement in local investing through crowdfunding. And we should celebrate that $2 billion milestone. All right. Now let's get into our conversation with Diane Silver. So um, on this show in the past, we've talked a lot about how, you know, this is not a, a, a political show. This is not a partisan show. This is a business show. Um, but we've also talked about how 
in a lot of ways, your dollar really is your vote. You know, where you spend your money, where you invest your money, how you make your money really all casts a vote for the kind of future that you want to see. But how we vote is a really interesting topic. And that's what we're here to talk about with Diane Silver today. She is the advocacy program manager for Fair Vote. So Diane, welcome to the show. Really glad to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, I'm really excited to get to talk about what fair vote is and what ranked choice voting is. Um, but first, could you tell us a little bit about your background? I know this wasn't what you've always done. Um, yeah, how did you get involved in this? What were you doing before? Uh, yeah, I, this is kind of a second career for me. I had a, um, a, about a 20-something year career doing environmental education. Um, you know, which is a completely different arena. And I guess I got into that way back when because I had this notion, you know, of trying to make a difference in the world. And I was interested in environmental issues. And I just I felt like if we could raise up the next generation of of voters, you know, from when they're kids and, you know, build in as they're growing up an understanding of the environment and caring about the environment, they would become adults, you know, who would, you know, walk that talk and who would live their lives, make choices and vote, um, you know, according to environmental values. And, um, you know, 20 something years later, what I found was that that was being thwarted because the way that we vote um, doesn't uphold, like, voters don't have the voice that they need. You know, people people have to vote strategically instead of being able to vote according to their real values. Um, you know, they, they might prefer one candidate, but they feel like, well, they're kind of a long shot. I don't know if they're really going to win. So I'm going to pick between, you know, the one, you know, I don't like either choice, but I'm going to vote for this one because they have a better chance of winning, you know, that kind of strategic voting. I just got really mm -hmm. interested in how our elections aren't really working for the people. And so I kind of did this career shift and I um, feel very lucky that I was able to um, get involved with fair vote. And so, yeah, so and ranked choice voting. <laughs> yeah. So, so I guess let's just start with the basics. Um, we have in our country, what's called, you know, we have basically a two party system. Um, and, you know, to me, they seem kind of like Pepsi and Coke 90% of the time. But what exactly is ranked choice voting and how does it differ from our two party system? Sure. So ranked choice voting is simply an upgrade in the way that we vote. It's actually a very simple reform. The way we vote right now, when you go to the polls, you vote for one person out of the field of candidates for any given office. And with ranked choice voting, you instead get to rank order the candidates in order of preference. So you get to say, well, my first choice is whoever. But if I can't have them, then my second choice would be whoever. And if I can't have them, then my third choice would be this one. And if I can't have them, my fourth choice would be that one. So it's very, it's a very simple upgrade because everybody's familiar with ranking. You know, we, we use the ice cream analogy um, a lot in this, in this arena. If you ask somebody to go get you ice cream, they're going to say, sure, what flavor? And you say, please get me chocolate. And they say, well, what if they don't have chocolate? All right, well then get me strawberry. Well, what if they don't have strawberry? Okay, well then how about vanilla? You know, that's a rank that's a rank order choice right there. So voters are very familiar with how to rank. 
And, um, and what we find in real life when people use ranked choice voting is they find it easy to do, they understand it, they like it, and they want to continue to use it to elect our officials. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I feel like I can't stop ranking things all the time. <laughs> like I grew up, uh, I, I remember in high school loving the movie High Fidelity because it shows these guys in a record store constantly getting together and say, well, what's your top five number one tracks on the first side of an album? You know, and like coming up with these orders and ranking like, well, this one's my favorite, but then this one's my second favorite. And I think that you're right. What effect do you feel like that has, I guess, first just from the side of the of the voter in that process? Yeah, well, the, the biggest one to me, there's, there's a whole bunch of advantages, but the biggest one to me is that we have this problem of vote splitting in which if there are two candidates who are pretty closely aligned politically or in their, you know, in their, uh, in their platform, uh, the, mm -hmm. the most common examples are for, you know, on the, on the left side of the political spectrum, a Democrat and a green candidate. And on the right side of the political spectrum, a Republican and a libertarian candidate, the sort of common view is that, the libertarian will siphon votes away from the Republican. Voters who who vote for the libertarian, if that if the libertarian wasn't in the race, they would more likely vote for, or more of them are likely to vote for the Republican. And on the left, if that green candidate weren't in the race, most of those voters who support the green candidate would go ahead and support the Democrat. Obviously, that's not universal, but it's mm -hmm. a generalization. And so the problem is that there's this phenomenon of vote splitting. So if the majority of the electorate, let's say the majority of the electorate is, you know, party B, whichever one you decide that is. If there are two candidates who are closely aligned, that majority can get split between those two. And so you could have, you know, if, the, if it's like a 60-40 split in terms of partisan split, that 60% could be split into 30 plus 30 right? If there are two candidates. And so you could have candidate A gets 30%, candidate B gets 30%-ish, and those two are closely aligned. And that's the 60% that makes up the majority. But then the minority, 40%, wins because the 40% is more than either of those candidates who got 30%. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's the 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 example that that that's coming to mind for me is I was pretty young when this happened, but I still remember it being quite a story at the time was in 1992. Is that is that what you're referring to with kind of Ross Perot and the There are two super salient examples from presidential races. One is one is that 92 race where Ross Perot was perceived as more conservative. He was a business candidate. And the perception was that he pulled votes away from George from George Bush. That's Bush won, um, and and Clinton ended up winning that election. And they, um, you know, the the thought is, well, if there had been ranked choice voting, all those Perot candidates would have had George Bush as their second choice. And or most they, of them, at least, or, yeah, yeah, or enough, enough of them would have had mm -hmm. would have had Bush as their second choice. So that when there was an instant runoff, 
then Bush would have won. We've kind of uh, jumped. I haven't had a chance to explain exactly how ranked <laughs> works for all of your, all of your listeners. Um, but yeah, that's kind of a common, the common thought. And then in 2000, there is the um, election between Al Gore and uh, Bush too. And the perception was that Ralph Nader was a spoiler in that election and that enough Nader voters probably would, would, you know, would have voted for Al Gore as their second choice. And then Gore would have won instead of, instead of Bush. We like to be super careful about these woulda, coulda, shoulda, because the truth is that ranked choice voting changes voter behavior and also candidate behavior. And it's really hard. You're comparing apples and oranges. We can't ever go back in history and say what would have happened because the whole situation might have been different. If there had been ranked choice voting, you know, maybe there would have been a whole bunch more um, candidates, third party candidates, independents, the whole election narrative might have been different. And so you can't just look at the numbers of the, on the ballots and say, oh, the, the, the result would have changed in this way. Um, but those are two salient examples where there were perceived spoilers in those elections. Yeah. And we could definitely talk about, I want to, I want to hear more about how it works with the runoffs that you mentioned. I also want to think about how this would affect third party candidates. How would it affect aspiring, you know, political candidates who want to maybe get into office, but how this would affect how they go about that. I want to get into, you know, where else this is actually happening and how it works. But first, what I'd like to ask you about here is coming back to the effect that it has on the experience of the voter. I'm just thinking through of my own thought process when I have you know, decided to cast my ballots. And I'm someone who has not voted for one of the two main political parties in most elections. Um, but it's there's always, like you said, there's, there's this sort of strategic calculation that happens rather than people just actually saying what they really want, what they actually want. It's more of a, well, I'd like that, but I got to be realistic. Could you speak a little bit to that experience of the voter and how it how it differs? Sure. Yeah, I got I, 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 cut, I cut myself distracted that um, I was talking about vote splitting. And it's exactly as you just described, because of that vote splitting that can happen when there are two candidates who are closely aligned, it puts the voter into this dilemma situation where they have to play these mind games of, of what we call strategic voting, where they, they do this analysis of, well, you know, say that, say that you're um, a, a libertarian uh, type voter, you know, where they say, well, I really like the libertarian candidate. That's who, that would be my number one choice. That's who I really want to vote for. But no third party candidate has ever won this office. It's, it's a huge long shot that they would actually get enough votes to win. And so if I vote for the libertarian, then I'm taking my vote away from, you know, the major party candidate who I like better. Let's say that it was the Republican. And, that, and so I'm taking votes away from the Republican and I'm handing the win to those darn Democrats, right? And on the left side of the political spectrum, the analysis can be exactly the same. If you're a Green Party supporter, um, you know, or a... Or a um, Democratic socialist supporter, for example, and you say, I really like this candidate, they're, they're the one I really want. 
but they're such a long shot. I know they're unlikely to win. And then I'm taking my vote away from the Democrat and then I'm helping the Republicans and I don't want them to win. You know, so on both sides of the political spectrum, you have these mental gymnastics that the voter has to go through and they end up not voting for the one they really like. Um, they get they get shamed by their friends. You know, some some say, you know, I'm voting for the one I like. It's a matter of principle. And their friends say, you're wasting your vote. And they get, mm -hmm. you know, vilified for wasting their vote. Um, other people really do feel like they're wasting their vote. Third parties, certainly, you know, those candidates would would say it's not a wasted vote. You know, who wants to who wants to be, you know, have them be talked about with people saying that voting for them is wasting their vote. You know, you should be able to vote for the candidate you really like and not feel like that's a wasted vote. And so we shouldn't have to do these strategic gymnastics. You should be able to vote for the one you really like. And this is the beauty of ranked choice voting is the best strategy is to simply vote honestly. Feel free to go through the the hoops of trying to figure out how to game the system. In the end, the best strategy is to just vote honestly. Whoever you like best, rank them number one. Whoever you like next best, rank them number two. That's the best strategy to help get the one that you want into office. You know, and it's funny as you're great for the voter. Yeah, that that that's what I I am I am as you're explaining that and as you're saying just pick the one that you like best and then pick the second one that you like second best. I I am currently feeling a weight lifted off of my shoulders just thinking about <laughs> the ability to do that without having to, you know, kind of play all these mental gymnastics and then also feeling like well whatever I do I'm not actually going to end up being represented by someone that I really wanted. I'm just having to pick the lesser of two evils. And I mean, who really wants to have to pick an evil, you know, just because it's not the evilist, right? Um, and so, yeah, I, it has, I feel this sense of relief even in you just talking about it. Um, I'm really excited. We're going to get into all of those other questions that I mentioned here earlier around how this affects the actual results, how this affects... Um, you know, participation in voting, how this affects um, really the entire structure and how it works and how they people could get involved to see something like this happen in their local communities or on a national level. But we do need to take a break. We're This is going to be a two-part episode. This The second half is going to air next week here on Biz Radio US, but I cannot wait to get back into it here with Diane Silver. Um, so please listen in on Biz Radio US. Listen to the other great shows here on the station as well. And make sure you follow us on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Amazon Music. And please give us a, a, a follow. And if you give us a review, that helps us more than anything else. So please uh, welcome, or uh, sorry, not welcome, but join us and help me welcome next week, uh, Diane back, where we're going to really get to dig in on this really fascinating and wonderful topic. Thanks, Diane, so much for your time. And for all you listening out there, take care of yourself and take care of someone else. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.